G'day and welcome to the Pod Pod. It's your boy Dossie. Hope you're having a fantastic holiday season. Family and friends are going well, and that you're not spending too much time tucked away in the corner of the family dinners using those various team building spreadsheets that are out there, as I know I am at the moment. But look, heading into the new year, Holmesy has gone the extra mile and he's given us some one-on-one interviews with some of the best and brightest in the world of fantasy footy. What better way to start as well with his opening interview than with Matt Mottram, the reigning Hilux winner. That's right. He took it all home. He did it all. Let's hear about his season with Holmesy, who's also been up at the pointy end. Holmesy himself, the 2021 runner-up. And Holmesy's just doing it all this preseason. He's going out solo. He's having a second-year breakout, I reckon, because he's just the content king this preseason. He's gone and done this on his lonesome. Away from the pod pod, he's just like, yo, Dossie, got a couple of interviews ready to go. I'm like, well, Holmesy, you've got a 12-pack, you're... You're shredded to all shit, and now you're out there producing content on your own. So, good on Holmesy. Thank you so much for producing this. He's got another one lined up for next week as well, so stay tuned. Keep subscribed, follow on Spotify, get your ratings and reviews in, and of course, support our sponsors at the Keeper League Pod. Go to keeperleaguepod.com.au, use the code PODPOD at sign up for 20% off and you can go the extra mile too in your preseason research. Get your CBAs, kick in trends, drafty fantasy analysis for all that rookie research, get scoring trends against teams, weekly AFL fantasy projections, all that good stuff. It's not just for Keeper League, it is for every format, including your AFL fantasy classic teams. Use the code PODPOD on sign up, let them know that we sent you. And now... Enjoy the episode with Holmesy and 2022 winner, overall winner, Hilux winner, Matt Mottram. All right, so I'm here today with uh, Matt, coach of Matty's Marvels, winner of AFL Fantasy Classic in 2022. Matt, how you going, mate? Yeah, I'm going good, Kyle. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, thanks. Thanks for getting involved. I thought it was a it was a good opportunity. I've I've just started getting into the fantasy again with the the preseason starting to begin, and as the as the mind started ticking over, and I started having a bit of a think about how I'm going to attack this season. I thought, where better to, where better to start than to have a have a chat with the guy that won it last year. So, um, thanks for getting involved. And before we get started, I suppose let's let's just check in with you. How have you been since you are uh, since you won the car and you're able to switch off a little bit after a pretty hectic season. Uh, been pretty well. Uh, initially, it took a while for the whole thing to sink in, but since uh, everything sort of finished up, it really did sink in quite a bit, especially once all the prizes come in. You go to the grand final, enjoy all the uh, all the rewards of your feats, and, yeah, it sinks in a fair bit. So, yeah, had a few moments of reflecting back and thinking about what I've achieved. And uh, for us guys who really love AFL fantasy, I think it's, it's, it is a lifelong dream to win it, so to actually win it. And go down in the history books is pretty pretty amazing, really. So, yeah, been going well, just winding down to the year and looking forward to uh, a nice break over Christmas. Yep, so I suppose the, the question I want to know is, is how's the how's the Hilux? How's it going? You've, you've picked it up. You've got it at, got it at home at the moment? Uh, the Hilux is uh, pretty good. I wrote it back from the – when I wrote it back from the um, car yard, it was, I felt like I was driving a truck, mate. I've never driven one before. It was massive. Um, yeah. 
had my older daughter with me too, and we both were just like, "What's going on? This is this is like a bus." But yeah, yeah. very thankful to the AFL website.com uh, and Toyota for such an amazing prize. They're really good down there too. So Toyota on the day, the lady even um, organised the meet up with Zach Merritt on the Friday before the grand final, and I had a good chat to Zach about that amazing round where that captain choice came into play and he actually even knew about it. So he got tagged on social media and he said he did know about it. So, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, that's right. I do remember seeing it. Yeah, that would have been pretty good to, to thank the bloke that's responsible for, for winning you the car because you, you wouldn't have done it if he had have had a just an average game, right? It, it was pretty close towards with you and James at the end there, wasn't it? Yeah, it's just getting really tight. So that really kept my sort of uh, buffer for me for going to the last few weeks. So... Yeah, being Essen supporter, very thankful to Captain Merritt. Yeah, beautiful. And and what else have you been up to? So obviously switching off after the fantasy season. I, I know you're a big NBA man. How have you how have you been keeping yourself busy since the the season wrapped up? Yeah, so I do a couple of NBA things. Um, do um, the Yahoo fantasy stuff with uh, a few groups. So got that going, and it's not as serious as uh, AFL fantasy because you do a draft and it's a bit of fun and you have your own team, but. It's still, it's still nice to actually own your own players, whereas in fantasy, everyone can own them. But in uh, it's a bit more like uh, the draft in AFL fantasy and you get your own players and follow along and you can do trades and stuff. And It's good fun. So I really enjoy that. And um, I even dabble in the sports deck one. You know how sports deck do AFL dream team, real dream team? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they do one for basketball. No, no big prizes or anything, but... Um, we spend five, ten minutes on that a week and put my team through. And it's actually going all right this year, so see what happens. Yeah, how, how are you tracking? You're going to do the, you're going to win the double, or you're not that, not that far. Not <laughs> I that don't think I'll win the double. I'm like 18th out of 3,300 to do it, so it's not bad. But yeah, look, I think it's a five hundred dollar prize or something. So yeah, it's more fun. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful. All right, so what I thought we'd do today, just just keep it pretty casual. Like I said, it was just a, an opportunity for myself as well, just to to chat to the guy that took it out last year and and have a bit of bit of a more in depth conversation about the season that was and and sort of the strategies that you were looking at in your starting squad and and what really set you up to win the comp. Because you know I've I've spoken to Selby about this and it's, it's you know public knowledge that you you got in front at round nine and you were able to hang on and and win the comp from there, which is not a regular feat. Normally, we see people get out in front early and then uh, teams will storm home. So, the fact that you were able to to do it from there, I think, is proof that you found a different way to play the game that might be, you know, a little bit different to some of the winners in the past and it's just going to be interesting to, to pick your brain. So, where I thought we would start is just with your starting squad, okay? Because obviously, it's pre-season and and very soon, the game's going to be opening up and we'll start to, to look at building our starting squads as well. So, Let's just start with the back line. So you had um, some of your premiums. So you started with three premiums. You had Jack Crisp, you had Lockie Whitfield, and you had Jaden Short. Talk me through those starting selections and what you were sort of looking for there. I think uh, with every line, I was looking for obviously guys that can give me a good score, have a bit of a ceiling, but also represent some sort of value. So I think if you can get both of those happening, you're doing well. Um those guys going into the season were pretty popular, I think. Um, Crisp was a bit of concern at the start, but, yeah, long story to tell with Crisp because he comes right into it right at the end as well. But, yeah, I think that's really the goal, just to get a bit of value, get some premiums who you think can score well. 
Yeah, I think yeah, Jack Crisp was pretty popular, especially um, moving into the midfield. And you know, in hindsight, might have been a little bit of a risky pick with the the new coach and not knowing the system. But he was he was clearly a, a top sort of three defender for the first half of the year and, and got off to a great start. So um, fantastic picks there, and and even Whitfield and Jaden Short, although. Short started the season fantastic and slowed Whitfield a little bit underwhelming, but you're still happy with that sort of selection and how that played out? I think it was pretty pretty common mostly. Um, and it gave me money to spend in my midfield, my forward line of rucks. So, yeah, I, I was happy with that. Yeah, we will we will get to your rucks shortly. But, yeah, so pretty pretty standard back line. George Hewitt, just the, that underpriced um, defender that you could get who was playing midfield. So... Um, it was pretty obvious there in pre-season once he, that role had shown and, and he looked like he was going to be capable of putting up those scores that he was going to be a very good starting selecting starting selection. What about Wayne Miller? Talk me through that because he tricked yeah. me as well. So what did you see with that? Oh, look, once again, I just made a mistake, mate. I, I saw him as a bit of value and I thought I could save a bit of money in the back line, maybe go cheaper in the back line, spend money elsewhere. And, yeah, I got, I got caught into the trap. But um, it goes to show you, you don't have to have a perfect starting squad. You just have to, I think the main thing is nailing most of the good rookies, most of the mid-prices and have a decent set of premiums and you can recover. And we'll talk through how I recovered from that. Yeah, look, I got I got tricked into that Wayne Miller pick as well. And all <laughs> pre-season, I was telling the other boys not to not to pick him. Even, even if he got selected, it's just too risky off, you know, two years out of footy and round one rolls around and you're right, you try and spend down in the in defence because there wasn't that much, that many options there and all of a sudden he's in your squad. So, yeah, you are, you're dead right. It just shows that um, you don't have to nail every single pick before uh, to, to do well, especially with you being um, in the top 100 from about round six, if I go back mm. through your article. So, yeah. perfect. So, we won't talk about the rookies too much. Obviously, we know it's important to, to pick the right rookies and, and they don't really... Um, appear and show themselves until sort of closer to round one when we get teams and, and we see those practice games. So, Jack McRae and Josh Kelly, um, two staples there. What were, what were your thoughts? Um, I was pretty set on McRae early on. I thought I've had him the previous years and he can be one of those frustrating picks. He can he can kill it or he can really, you know, as the boys say on um, the traders, soak it up a bit on the wing. And, yeah, he was, a, he was an up and down pick. Started all right, but really frustrating towards the end. Kelly, I thought Kelly was going to have a better season. And I was, funny thing is, I was it was either him or Brayshaw in my starting squad, and I went with Kelly. Um, so it's interesting how that one worked out. And yeah, and then the other three were more value picks. So even Kelly was a pretty, pretty value pick, I think. And McRae, like I, I didn't go with Took, I didn't go with Steele. I stayed away from the big dollars and tried to pick four value picks across that midline. Yeah, so we'll, we'll digress a little bit. We'll keep going. But so Jack McRae this year priced at priced at one hundred three, one hundred four. If you were to to uh, pick your starting squad again, is he someone that you'll consider? Just more for my for my own uh, knowledge here as well, because I'd really want to go back to the well with him. He's been a a favourite of mine for a number of years and. You know, any player that can go 100-plus in their second season can clearly play footy, but it just seems like he's he's sort of dropped off a bit in the last sort of year and a half and, and you know, where he fits in that Bulldogs midfield, I'm not too sure. So what are your thoughts? Well, without Dunkley there, it obviously adds a bit of room, a little bit of room, but um, 
I actually haven't really thought through this. I think he'd be in consideration, and it just depends on who I can fit in there and, and who I'm looking to um, slot in there, whether there's room, because as we'll talk about maybe later on, there's a couple of nice juicy picks in there for us. Yep, absolutely. So we had, you had Lockie Neal, um, obviously a very, very popular pick, I think priced in the, the low 90s, and it wasn't until the end of the season when he started to slow, but he was a clear top eight mid for a large portion of the season. So he was a fantastic pick. And, and Patrick Cripps, one that I couldn't bring myself to pick after he, he burned me and cost me a car the year before, but he was, in hindsight, just an absolute no-brainer pick, priced at 80. And, and once again, he was putting up top eight numbers for a large portion at the start of the season as well, getting you off to a hot start. So so well done there. Matt Rao, so uh, like the rest of the comp, Matt Rao kind of tricked us in there and Came out all guns blazing with that big one, I think 115 round there in, in round one. But how how quickly did you get Matt Rowell out of your side? Were you one of those coaches that traded him pretty early? Very early. Uh, made a very early decisive call on him. And I suppose if we talk about trades a bit later, I can go into it a bit more, but very early. And I think that made a huge difference for me going up the ranks. Yep, yep, beautiful. So, yeah, Jason Horn-Francis, Nick Dacos, Josh Ward, um, three of the most popular rookies there, all fantastic starting selections, and, and Nick Dacos was in a lot of sides towards the end of the year. So, perfect, perfect rookie selections there. Now, here's where it gets interesting. So, in mm-hmm. your rucks, so you started Tim English and Brody Grundy, but obviously you had Bruce on the field in round one to get that Jack Hayes score. What were your thoughts going Tim English and Brody Grundy and then even Bruce on the bench? I'd already decided that I was probably going to go with English and Proust on the bench. So, yeah, it was just simple to actually pull that move and actually move Proust onto the uh, onto the field at that stage. And so that was part of my strategy to start with Proust on the bench because I saw him as a good pick. Um, and I liked the idea. I read a few articles about English early on and heard some stuff about his leadership um, his fitness and how he was doing a lot more um, for the midfield and stuff and having a greater role in the ruck. So I thought I see potential there and I'll, I'll pick English and it worked out well. Yeah, he, he had that breakout season that we'd we'd always thought he would have at some stage and un, unlucky for some, he, he, got in, he got injured and then he was sick and then he got injured again and it was just a bit of a roller coaster. but he, he definitely started off very, very hot. Uh, Proust on the bench, it was it was definitely ballsy. I know a lot of people, a lot of coaches don't like to spend up that much on the on the bench, but he did definitely prove to be that competition winning pick early on, making you know sort of three hundred plus k and, and scoring at the rate he did. So that was a very good move, especially with me going on the traders and and talking about Gorn and Grundy and knowing that a large portion of the comp would go that way, especially after the traders did it. So it was. A, a good bit of game theory there to go against the comp, and if it goes your way, then you're already a good, um, good step ahead. So, very, very good there. I was going to say, I do. Sorry, Kyle, I do listen to those interviews early in the year as part of my preseason, and I listen to what you said, and I listen to everything, and um, I definitely weighed it up, so it came into consideration. But yeah, yeah it's, look, part, it's part of the preseason. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm the same. I'll, I'll consume a lot of content out there and, and try mm. to take in and see as many angles as I can before ultimately trusting my gut and what I what I feel. But yeah, you are right. It's it's good to have a listen and, and see what a lot of the, the rest of the comp is doing. Uh, we'll talk about your forwards briefly. So Josh Dunkley, I don't think we need to, to touch on really. 
absolute gun. He was a it was no brainer pick. I can't remember what price he was started started at, but him being available as a forward was was an absolute yeah. no brainer. Um, Cogs and butters. So I'm guessing um, just two sort of underpriced guys that you thought would potentially get a little bit more midfield time and and outscore what they were what they were priced at to begin with. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, I think you're spot on with that. That's exactly how I saw it. And um, obviously, Coniglio, when the coach role changed, some people traded him out prior to that. I held. And the coaches were going to change, and it really paid off. Butters is just one of those frustrating guys. He has so much potential, and he can really, once he gets in there, he can really get some big scores. But he didn't quite hit it this year, this past season, but I think he can. Yeah, do you see do you see Butters as a successful pick? I remember I didn't I didn't start him, and I remember watching. I can still remember that round two game against Hawthorne when he had I think it was one thirty seven, and it made me feel absolutely sick that I didn't have him. But he 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 kind of fizzled out. I think he was a there was yeah. a patch of about four or five rounds in there where he averaged about fifty or fifty five. And you're right, he, he kind of promises the world, but sort of under under delivers or or gets injured. So do you see that as a successful pick or? Look, it got me to where I got to at the end. So, in the long view, yes. But in the over the season, it was it was very frustrating going at times. So, and I had to hold, hold, hold with so many other things I wanted to fix in my team, and it was very frustrating. So when I finally got rid of him, that was nice. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then Will Brody, uh, just another mid-price player that. Um, was touted that was going to get a lot of midfield time, and and once again it was pretty obvious in preseason that that's the the role that Freo had in mind for him. And um, I suppose with so many of the comp taking him on as well, that it was a, a pretty obvious pick for for him. So that was your starting squad, mate. Um, like I said, it's well you know it's it's pretty vanilla. I, I know I had a lot of a lot of those same players, but we know that uh, picking a good starting squad is only a little piece of the puzzle and a lot of the time it comes down to how you trade around it to sort of trade your way to the top. So let's have a little bit, little bit of a chat about some of your successful trades and, and we might touch on some of the non-successful ones as well. But yep. what are some of the trades early on that, you know, sort of set you up for that, you know, aggressive leap to the top so early? A lot of my really early trades are the ones that, that did it for me, to be honest. So... Say so round before round two, uh, we talked about the Miller pick, uh, how bad it was. So I realised I had to fix my structure in defence, and straight away James Sicily. I had James Sicily in my team pre-season. Took him out before round one to fit other things because we didn't have many rookies in the back line and regretted it. So straight back in and look, I think that set me up for the year. That one trade, as simple as it is, really helped me going forward after round one. So that was the first one. Did you want to talk on that anymore or just keep um, going? Yeah, look, I, I suppose that's just the, the value of, of going early. So I know dead right, I, I had Miller as well. I already had Sicily, so it wasn't as, as um, you know, cut and dry to just trade to him. But Sicily was such an obvious pick. So just being aggressive and, and not waiting and just going bang. I, I think, did Miller get dropped round two? I think the decision think was made. So. I think the yeah. decision was made for us that we had to trade. But I, I remember being in the same boat and... And not knowing who to trade to because rookies and, and mid prices were already pretty thin back there. So the fact that you'd already nailed everything else um, was a yeah a, a big part of how you were able to just go bang straight away. So yep, perfect. Yep. Um, what else? Uh, well, the other one was a restructure for round three. So this is really, I think this is it was a bit of a complicated trade, but I think it was one of the biggest and best trades I did early on to catapult me right up the ranks. 
So I know I said it in short in the article, but basically I restructured because I had Proust there and I think Proust came on. So I traded out Grundy and I swapped Grundy into the midfield to become Andy Brayshaw. So I missed that Andy Brayshaw pick and I've missed a couple of big scores and a lot of the philosophy is, all right, you've missed the big scores, don't chase the points, don't, don't you know, jump on these guys after after they've gone big. And I just thought to myself, no, nah, I'm seeing it as Andy Brayshaw's going to have one hell of a season. I fought it prior to the season um, and I went with Kelly, so I said, no, nah, I can't watch this, so I brought him in. And I think that was really decisive and crucial for me. And also, to get Brayshaw, I traded out Raul at the same time that early on, swapped him into defence for uh, Nathan O'Driscoll. So that was a huge restructure and trade for me that really helped me. Yeah, absolutely. And then I suppose, I can't remember exactly what round it was, but Grundy would go on to get a a 50, I think, against um, Big O a couple of weeks later and you'd already traded him out. So. You're already a big step up there, not copying that score. And then, yeah, you couldn't have foreseen Grundy getting injured, but he wasn't he wasn't playing his best footy and you've just decided to be aggressive and, and go bang. So who was – so just talk me through that. So who was your ruckman then? So you had you would have had Proust on field and then English still? He hadn't yep. been in, yep. He wasn't injured at this point? I don't think so, no. I'm pretty sure it was English and Proust I was playing with. I think Jack Hayes. I don't know if I had him forward or I was swapping him, but he got injured not long after anyway, so – yeah, that was my ruck line. I thought I'll, I'll stick with that and see where we go. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's awesome. And I, I suppose that's one of the things that I've sort of struggled with in the last two years. Um, it was, you know, when I came second back in 2021 when Jack Steele took Miller and Jared Lyons. Those were the three players that were just going on those absolute tears. And I just, in my mindset, it was like, no, nah, keep finding the value. You've missed their scores and they would just keep going on those tears. And it was the same with Rory Laird this year. It's just, you know, once they're gone, yeah. they're gone. So um, the fact that you've gone so aggressive to get the man that you want, you've clearly seen something in him. And um, a lot of teams wouldn't do that. But I suppose that was a big part of, of where you got to so early. So that's probably a good good thing to learn. It's it's not always going to pay off, but you do need to take some pretty big risks in, risks in this game if you do want to win it. So very yeah. good. Uh, yeah, keep going through. So, what about some other some other uh, trades? R- round four, I, I added another primo defender to my backline. I put in Jordan Dawson, and that was probably before anybody jumped on him. Um, I just saw him as going to be one of the top six backs and got him in early. So, I just wanted to slowly tick those boxes, get in that extra key defender, sorry, primo defender, and, yeah, he was a good move. And then probably round five, before round five, was my big – trade the other big one that set me up for the year and that was i don't know if you remember the round when bailey smith went 150 something and a lot of people jumped on him that week um that was the week i decided to bring in callum mills as my midfield primo my next one and i think he got 106 or something and i knew he had the achilles early but we also know what a beast he was and the year before funny enough he's one of my favorite players and i didn't get him in my back line soon enough and i missed all those big scores and watched it. So I thought, this year I'm going to jump on him. And he didn't reward me immediately. But then I think he went on a really massive run of like 160s, 130s, 40s. And he was just ended up being one of the best picks for the year in the midfield. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's an absolute gun. And he's he's hard to own because we we see horse just throw him around you know one minute he's inside mid and he's just everywhere and then he's playing full back as that quarterback 
but yeah, you're right. He's he's fantastic, and you're right. I was eyeing him off early too, but I was I suppose I was a little bit sort of worried about the Achilles, and he was slowly building. But you ne- you never really know with those those type of injuries. But once again, you've just you've just seen what you've seen, and you've just been aggressive and and gone for it. So can clearly see the the sort of theme and the way you sort of set yourself up early to to get to where you were. Some big big scores from these players that you've brought in and. And yeah, so let's do, we'll go sort of around the buy period. So, what was your sort of plan going into the buys? Obviously, we know that you want to come out of the buys with a, a better team than than what you started with. But being sort of number one already, were you a little bit more sort of nervous around the buys, or you just kind of just kept playing your, your game? I was pretty confident going into the buys because I had the structure there to cover me. I knew there was going to be a couple of rounds where I'd take a couple of hits. But it wasn't going to be massive hits, so I should be able to keep my team because I planned for the buys without being OCD about the buys, if that makes sense. And two trades I did prior to the buys helped me. So around seven, I brought in Luke Parker before most people jumped on, being a forward. And the other big pick, which has a lot to do with the buys, is Tom Stewart. Tommy Stewart delivered me some massive scores just prior to the buys. I got on him. I think he had a 170 or something down at Geelong. Mm-hmm. And it really, that was where it pushed me to like 270-something in front early um, going into the buys, and it really set me up. But on the other end in the buys, I think he got concussed, and it hurt me a little bit there too. So, yeah, my, my strategy in the buys was just I had all these players that I wanted to get. Rory Laird was one of them. I had these players and just lined them up one after one and picked them off and just brought them in as I could every round. Yeah, that was my strategy. Yeah, awesome. So we've seen some of your your really good trades. What about some of the ones that weren't so good that you you kind of learnt off a little bit? Yeah, they're probably just having a look at, at the trades. I did. They're probably more of the ones after the buys. Um, I mean, even during the buys, I brought in Jed Anderson to cover me because he was a fourteen and he did his job. But he really wasn't a successful trade. Um, Zach Merritt initially was a was an average trade because he wasn't hitting big scores, but he was um, he was well priced, so he paid off later on down the track. Um, who else? When I brought in Tim Taranto in round fifteen, he had a really bad score, and I was really concerned. But he came good, and he kept he he was okay until I traded him out again, and. And then the rucks, they were just, I think English got injured during the buy, uh, buy rounds and I think Proust was causing problems. I think I already got rid of him. But, yeah, I got Wits in, I think, and he didn't set the world on fire. And then I got Darcy in and he didn't set the world on fire. So it was a constant struggle in that rucks just to, just to get through. Um, so, yeah, definitely wasn't easy as the year went on trades. They seemed easy early because I think I, I think we had a conversation or you said something in one of your pods about, and I was asking a few questions later on in the year and um, you said, you know, you've been seeing it really well, just to go with your gut. And I think I really did see it well for probably half the year or three quarters of the year. But once I'd been in front for quite a while and you're really trying to work a strategy to stay in front, you tend to maybe second-guess yourself a bit more and you don't see it as clearly. So that's what I struggled with as the year went on, I think. But I really did see it clearly early on. Yeah, so I suppose, yeah, let's just touch on that. So clear clear 
theme early on of just that aggressive trading, going after the guys that you want, just trusting in yourself and, and really setting yourself up. I suppose there's a little, you know, not as much pressure early days when you've, you've got a good rank, but you're not number one. And and are you saying that your strategy kind of changed as the season went on? You know, you you started second guessing yourself a little bit and, and just, you know, the, the stress and the nerves of needing to, to hold on when, when no one had done it before and, and having some teams from behind, you know, starting to push up. Did, did you kind of look at those teams a little bit and think, you know, should I match those players instead of, you know, backing what I do or you continue just to play your game? How did you kind of go about it? Bit of, bit of both. As I got towards the end, it was more mathing, but a bit of both along the way. It was just seeing – I always checked every week. I would uh, listen to the, the boys on um, the Plastics podcast, Jepper and um, Pete. They're excellent. And I'd listen to them and Pete always give his uh, – his percentages of ownership, and I just note that down every week and just keep one eye on that with who I'm picking. It didn't dictate my trades, but it definitely played into part of the consideration of who I was going to pick. Um, and as it got towards the end, that ownership was really important because I know people were chasing me down from the buys and into just after post buys. And some of the backline guys I didn't have, like Sinclair and Doherty. And I had to pick them off because the guys behind me, the ones who were making ground of me, had those two, and they were clearly becoming the top two defenders. And the funny thing is, the week I brought in Doherty, he had a really bad score, and the following week I got Sinclair, he had a bad score. So it didn't go all my way, um, but I had to get him, and I just kind of played the odds and just kept getting those top guys in. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. I think you've, you've kind of shown it, but... And, you know, the, the teams that got onto, I, I feel anyway, the, the Dawson, Doherty, um, Sinclair trio were the ones that did quite well. I think, you know, we're all kind of looking for value in defense and, you know, you know generally as a rule of thumb, they're sort of that flat 9,500 averaging players and, and they don't go too much more than that. But having, you know, Doc go 110, Sinclair having large stretches, of, you know, 105 plus before sort of teetering off and, and Dawson doing the same before getting those tags, it was... It was probably the year to, to pay up in defence and, and really target those players. So, bit of bit unlucky that when you decided to do it, that they decided to not show up for you. But yeah, it just shows that if you've done everything else right up until that point, that um, you know it, it doesn't really matter when you've got that lead. So let's let's talk about the last round. Obviously, I'm I'm a bit intrigued because I've only ever come from behind. So, what was it like in that last round trying to hold on and and what were your thoughts? I know so you traded in. Uh, it was Blitzarves and Himmelberg. You know, I was quite, I was quite over it. I had you messaging me. I was talking to James. You know, the pod, the traders boys were sort of talking about it as well. So, you know, what were you, what were your thoughts going into that last round, and and how nervous did you get? I was more nervous the second last round, to be honest. Um, especially after a few weeks before that, that massive captain call on merit. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I felt like I had a lot more to lose the second last round leading in and I felt the pressure a lot more in the second last round for some reason. And I don't know, I think I, I messaged a few people and yourself and I just said, look, I've come to realisation I'm either going to win or lose and what I've done is pretty unbelievable to lead as long as I had. And I just felt a bit of a weight come off me and I just thought, all right, get into it now. What's my strategy? I'm just going to do the best I can. And if it comes off, it comes off. It doesn't, it doesn't. And my strategy was, I'm going to match. And that's dangerous sometimes. Um, but it paid off. And 
even batting right down to the captain, which is probably a bit insane when you think about it. Because I had a my other captains, I had Merritt picked, and I think it was Dunkley. Merritt was probably the one I really want to go with, but I just played it safe in a sense and matched um, James as captain, and Blair was pretty good anyway. So it eliminated a lot of the risks. So that was my way of thinking about it. Lessen the odds to lose, and hopefully I'll hold on. But on the last day, there's a few things that happened which, which nearly, nearly uh, stopped the win. Yeah, so that um, the the Frio GWS game was was earlier, wasn't it? So you've you've matched you've matched Himmelberg, and then because James traded, it had to trade out Aaron Hall. Were you able to see that he'd gone Hall to Blitzavs, and that was the the easy yeah. thing to do, or or did you just trust your no. gut that that's what he was going to no. do? I saw he pulled the trades, and I knew where I stood, and then I knew what call I had to make. I actually didn't really want to trade Himmelberg in. And I didn't, and I think I traded Brayshaw out, and I didn't want to trade Brayshaw out. And it was really the last second that I did it, very last second. And I saw on the TV that Himmelberg was going forward, and I kicked. I felt sick in my stomach. I was like, all year I've stayed off him because I was worried about him going forward, and I had this feeling he's going to go forward. In the last round, because he's so dangerous, I felt I had to do it. But it was kind of against my inclination. So it goes to show you, you should go with your gut. Because it was against my inclination, but I played the odds and I got that one really wrong, really wrong. I actually liked Sicily in the last round against Hawthorne, uh, not Hawthorne, against the Bulldogs. I thought he'd score big and he did. So if I just backed myself instead of matching, I probably would have won by more points in the end. So my strategy caused me more grief. But, hey, it's all history now. How, uh, how sick in your stomach were you when you saw that Bailey Smith was getting that tag? early in that in that last game? Well, I was out roller skating and I kept pulling my phone out and my wife kept saying, put it away. And I knew what was going on. And on the trip home, I knew what score he was on. And I was thinking, geez, this is going to be tight. If anything, I'm not going to get up if this continues. And the great man, Selby, knew I was how I was feeling. And he messaged me and said, they've taken a tag off of Smith. And I was like, what? And, yeah, I think in the last quarter, you got about 30-something points. So, you know, all these little twists and turns can make a massive difference in who wins and who doesn't. And you got no control over it. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. But you got there in the end. So, if you had to sort of sum up your, your season and, and sort of talk about your, your learnings and, and what you, you know, you, you definitely learn and what you'll take into, into the future if you, you play this game. So where, where are you at? What, are, what have you sort of, how can you sum up your season and, and moving forward? What can we do? Look, I think something I did, it's funny, you might think it's a bit crazy for me to say this, but this time last year, I was sitting down, I had a little um, Word document with the players I was looking at. And one of the students I used to talk to about fantasy and stuff, we both said we're going to win it next year. And we believed we could win it, and I believed I could win it. And I don't know, I was just taking constant notes and going over things and following things and then had a break at Christmas. And So I think that pre-season research is, don't underestimate it. it. It helps, but it's not everything. Then I think you just got to have a solid starting squad. And then... One thing I took away was a lot of it has to do with trading. You know, I think trades make a massive difference. You've got to have that solid starting squad and you've got to 
get most of the rookies and a few of the mid-prices right and have some decent premiums. If you pick four or five premiums that fail, you're in big trouble. But if you got most of it okay, you can recover and you can fix some mistakes. And if you trade well and you pick the right players at the right time, it just catapults you, I think. Well, that's what happened to me anyway. So, yeah, I think as I reflect on it, backing your gut, being aggressive worked for me. And when I didn't, it probably didn't work for me as well. Yeah, yeah, you're dead right. And it on the flip side, sometimes it doesn't work. So, yeah, in 2021, I, I was the same. I was aggressive and, and got ahead of the comp. But this year, the, the times I was aggressive when I offloaded Nick Martin early, he put a big ton on my head. When I offloaded Dacos on, um, early, he, he put a big ton on my head. So it doesn't doesn't always work, but I think you are right. right. If if you just want to play this game competitively, then playing it safe is definitely sort of the way to go if you're just happy to, to have a semi-decent rank and, and push league. But if you do want to... If you do want to win the comp and, and be right up there at the end, you've got to be, you know, not afraid to, to do things a little bit differently and and be aggressive and, and really target players that maybe some other coaches aren't thinking about. And and by the sounds of it, that's that's exactly what you did. So it's it's uh it's been very good to to sort of reflect on that and and uh, I'm definitely going to take some of that stuff what you've said and, and listen over it and, and try and build into to next year because I'm I'm due to bounce back. So. We were talking a little bit about it off air. So, you you know, you've been off doing your NBA stuff. You haven't really been looking at any AFL fantasy. So, you, you reckon you not you might not play this year. You think uh, one one Hilux is enough. I don't need to chase the, the two that Selby has. So, what's what's going on there? Oh, look, it'd be a dream to go back-to-back, wouldn't it? But everyone knows the reality of doing that is so hard. And even if I did give it a crack, there's no guarantees. I'm not even going to come in the top 100. Um it's not to say I can't, but you just don't know, right? Every year is a different year, and I think you can see it clearly one year, and what you do one year, like you said, doesn't work for you the next year. And I think because I got in front so early, it became a really – it was like a holding pattern for me for 15 weeks, and it was quite – like I doubt with it okay, but obviously it consumes time. I've got a wife. I've got kids. It consumes, even though you might be with them, it still consumes your um, where your mind's at. And you can't be as present with your kids, you can't be as present with your wife all the time. Um, so it's a sacrifice to do it. I suppose if you want to be great at anything, there is a sacrifice. So I'm just weighing up whether I actually just take a year off, maybe go on a few pods, have a bit of fun chatting online with you guys. And just stay in touch by helping a couple of close friends with their teams and then get back into it next year. That's sort of where I'm leaning, just so that I can give everybody a bit more time and that sort of thing. So, yeah, never say never yet, but that's which way I'm leaning at the moment. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, definitely a pretty noble thing to do as someone with a young family as well. I can definitely relate with the, the all-consuming part of it and, and you're right; it does take a lot to to do to do what we do, and it, it does take you know a, a fair chunk of your life. So, just on that, then though, just before we go, I'm I'm a little bit conscious of time. You must have had a, a little bit of a thought, you know. You are still on Twitter and stuff, so you know what are some of the who are some of the players that we could potentially look at in 2023, and or you know underpriced players, or who do you think's primed to have a big season? Just give us just give us a little bit before we sort of wrap up. I'll do my best, mate. I actually haven't really given it a lot of thought at all. Um, obviously, you see a few things go through your feed. But that's 
that's about it. I saw, actually saw today some images of Timmy Taranto winning the time trial, I think, down at Richmond. He looks super fit. I've always been a big fan of Timmy. I've obviously bringing him in last year and didn't really pay off fully. But if he's a forward, even as a cheaper mid, he looks he looks set to have a massive year. But I think that's a no-brainer. I don't think I'm telling anybody any secrets there. Um, I really do like LDU. I like the way he plays. So it'd be interesting, and I quite like Simpkins. So it'd be interesting to see how they look under Clarkson. But I'd be tempted to start one of those guys because I just like the way they play. They're good fantasy players. Um, I think the Rucks will play a big role this year, how we do go in the Rucks. I haven't thought through it yet. So, yeah. What's your thoughts on the Rucks at the moment? Uh, yeah, look, I'm a, I'm a big set and forget man. And I think potentially that's the way I'll, I'll look to go again. It's a strategy that I love to use. And I think it, you know, with uh, Darcy now playing with Jackson, we don't know how that's going to line up. And with Gorn now playing with Grundy, we don't know how that's going to line up. And one thing I do know is that Rory Lobb, being a freer man, Rory Lobb does not like playing in the ruck. And the fact that he's gone to the Bulldogs, I think, just only enhances Tim English. I think Tim English will be that sort of 80% ruckman playing through the midfield and, and Lobb will just chop out. So I think English is the no-brainer. And at this time of year, it's easy to just lock in Rowan Marshall as well. I think Rowan Marshall, is sole, sole ruck, has shown that he can put up some monster scores. So that's where I'm at it at this point in time. But we know, all know that can change and all it would take is for, you know, a, a Tom Campbell to be named around one or St Kilda decide that they want to play a dual ruck set up under Ross Lyon and, and that could all change. So nothing set in stone, but I think, you know, those two... Those two players present value while also being potentially the two top ruckmen in the line with the way the trades have gone. So that's that's where I'm sort of going at the moment. Yeah, I like both those picks. Obviously, I picked English last year, and I even looked at Marshall early. So yeah, I reckon they're great picks, and still super early, but it's a good way to kind of start your thinking in the rucks, I reckon, and see what else presents itself. Yeah, yeah. who knows? I'm sure there'll be a, a Braden Proust type come up and. I'll be, I'll be stubborn again and I won't pick him and he'll, he'll put some big scores on my head again. But anyway, Matt, thank you so much for joining me today, mate. I know it was a real real convo, com, uh, casual conversation, but I'm really I'm really grateful that you took the time out and good luck with everything. And, you know, if you don't play this year, you know, have fun on the podcast and, and chatting with the community and, and who knows, we'll, we'll see what happens later on. Yeah, mate, I appreciate that. And, um, yeah, if you're going to do a few of these and, I, and I'm not playing, I'm more than happy to come on because I can give unbiased views anyone wants to listen perfect mate all right take it easy you too thanks mate